You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled Amazing. Hello my radio friends. Welcome to the program today and I'm so pleased to have your company. Just to whet your appetite, I want to share two amazing facts with you at the outset. Firstly, did you know that there are a couple of parts of the body that continue to grow through the whole of the duration of life? They only stop growing at death. And no, it's not the waistline, although probably due to inactivity, the waistline does increase with age with some people. The body parts that continue to grow are the nose and the ears. You might have noticed that old people's ears are generally much larger than those of younger people, and now you know why. Secondly, did you know that when in public, Queen Elizabeth always carries a handbag? This is not just for show or to carry money. The Queen's bag is a signalling device to her attendants who may need to rescue her from a situation she does not enjoy. It's used by her to relay secret and silent messages to her staff. For example, if she's finished speaking to a guest, she will move it from one arm to the other and her aides will politely end the conversation or if she wants to abruptly end a conversation, she will put her bag on the ground. In spiritual matters, there are things that are amazing too. One of those is what people believe. To illustrate, many people in the world have access to a Bible. In these times, there are different translations and paraphrase Bibles available. Although thoughts may be expressed a little differently in different versions of the Bible, most are true to what God originally intended for us to understand. Mind you, there are a couple of religious groups that produce their own Bibles to suit their own doctrines. Of course, that's quite despicable. Doctrines should stem from the Bible rather than twist the meanings of the Bible for selfish purposes. For that reason, I do not find the Douay and New World translations credible. What amazes me is the fact that there are so many religions, Protestant religions that is, who have a standard Bible yet hold differing doctrines. One would have thought that when people read and study the same Bible, they would come to the same conclusions. Of course, some only accept parts of the Bible. These people generally shy away from the prophetic books like Daniel and Revelation. They stick to what's easiest to understand. Other groups place their own spin on certain parts of the Bible. This, quite often, is because they place an incorrect interpretation on some basic meaning. It's a bit like taking a journey somewhere and misreading a map. The first error 
will bring about subsequent errors. A wrong foundational paradigm will bring about further errors of understanding. Still others are affected by outside influences such as philosophy or so-called science. When what the Bible says and what philosophy says disagree, then many are swayed by what is popular. Take, for example, the widespread belief in evolution. The Bible accounts of origins is quite clear. You can read this account at the very beginning of the Bible, in the first few chapters of Genesis. There are plenty of biblical references elsewhere as to how God made what is made. Probably one of the best summaries is found in Psalm 33, 6, which says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. In summary, the Bible teaches that it was God, that powerful ruler of the universe, who by his power and intelligence formed what has been made. I wholeheartedly believe and accept that view. Why? Well, firstly because the Bible is authentic and true. Archaeological discoveries repeatedly confirm the accuracy of the Bible. Secondly, I accept the Bible as truth because of its consistency. Although written over a period of about 1,600 years, there is a consistent theme running right throughout. Thirdly, the Bible can be accepted and respected because of what it teaches. As the Word of God, it points people to live on a higher level. So, while all that is good and clear, there are people who discount the teachings of the Bible because of the teachings of evolution. Coupled with that, many believe that the Old Testament is to be avoided because the record of creation and of the worldwide flood is contrary to the evolution theory. Uh, at the same time, most of the New Testament is readily accepted. Any so-called Christian who discounts the Old Testament as a collection of moralistic fables, yet accepts the New Testament is a hypocrite, and here's why. People hold up Jesus as the prime example of how to live and what to believe. But Jesus himself believed in the Old Testament. Recorded in John 5.39 is one of the occasions when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and teachers of the law for their unbelief. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are they that testify of me. And I don't know if you realize, but there are about 350 prophecies in the Old Testament that tell about Jesus. Are they to be disbelieved? In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 6, 
is recorded another occasion when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. Here is a clear statement where Jesus plainly stated that he believed in creation. His words were, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And he further supported that in Mark 13, verses 18 and 19, where he said, referring to the destruction of Jerusalem that happened in AD 70, Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world. So I find it amazing that people who claim to be Christians can even entertain the idea of evolution or theistic evolution. The author and finisher of our faith, Jesus, was quite clear about origins. And coupled with that, I'm also amazed that otherwise intelligent people, whether religious or not, could even believe in that tattered, ever-changing theory that states that life came about on its own. When one realises the complexities, the beautiful design, the intricate function, the symbiosis, the interconnectedness, the interdependence within any life form, it is amazing. If chance is the operating factor of what exists today, with all the millions of possibilities of getting things wrong, it's a wonder that any life exists at all. Yet, that unstable, ever-changing theory is shoved in our faces all the time. Now, I normally try to keep up with the creation-evolution scene, and it amazes me of some of the latest developments in the evolution theory. It's now being thought that evolutionary changes took place quickly. It's probably best described that there were long periods when there was no change, followed by a sudden period of change. This idea has come about because of what the evolutionists call the Cambrian Explosion. Classical Darwinian evolution theory of long change, although still taught in schools and universities, is quite different to modern evolution theory. Now, I recently read an article about eyes, in particular shrimp's eyes. They work very differently to human eyes. Our eyes have lenses through which the light passes that is then focused on the retina. Signals are then passed up the optic nerve to the brain, which interprets those signals. And despite this short description of what happens, the system is very complex and a marvel of design. It is inconceivable that such a system could have developed by unguided chance. But shrimp eyes are also fascinating. Because shrimp live at the bottom of rivers and oceans, there the light is quite dim. 
Eyes designed like human eyes do not function well in those conditions. Shrimp eyes have arrays of tiny, really tiny, microscopically tiny, mirror-like structures that refract incoming light to a light receptor in such a way that there is a doubling of the light coming to the receptor. This is known as birefringence. And here's an illustration that might help you understand a bit better. Have you ever seen one of those mirror arrays like solar panels all pointing at one point? We have one of these in South Australia between Port Perry and Port Augusta. The mirror panels all reflect sunlight to a tower where water is heated to form steam. The water is actually seawater, and from it fresh water is obtained. And this is a big hydroponic system where tomatoes are grown for the coal supermarkets in South Australia. The mirrors are set with precision to focus exactly on one spot. The mirrors at the sides of the array are set at greater angles than those nearer the middle. It's an amazing piece of engineering. The mirrors are set with precision to focus exactly on one spot. The mirrors at the side are set at a different angle so that all that light focuses on that one spot. But it's even more amazing are the eyes of the little shrimp. They are so well and precisely aligned that they work beautifully. We're going to have a little break now and go on straight afterwards. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me.
Did you enjoy hearing about the complexity and the beautiful design of those shrimp eyes? To me, that's an impossibility that it could have come about by chance. There must have been an intelligent designer to have brought that into being. Now, I want to provide an analogy to help you understand the leap of faith one must take to believe in evolution. So let's say there's a rock lying on the ground and it is expected to produce a living creature. Now that rock has no intelligence, no skills, no plans, no blueprint, no end product in mind, no organic materials available, no abilities, no training, no life. And yet it supposedly can produce a living creature, like a shrimp, with such a well-designed, complex, precision-working eye structure to be able to see in extremely low-light conditions. To believe a proposition of life coming from non-life, like a stone, requires an enormous amount of blind faith. And that's the kind of faith someone must have to believe the evolution theory. It requires a much simpler faith to believe in creation, especially since there is evidence all around us of careful, intelligent design. I have an interest in cacti, cacti and succulents. We have a long garden bed dividing our neighbour's driveway from ours. In there I've planted and nurtured about 50 varieties of cacti and succulents. One of my prized cactus plants is a large golden barrel cactus, Echino cactus grucioni. It is over 2 feet, that's 600 millimetres in diameter, and at the moment is covered, covered with juveniles, which they call pups. Did this plant one day say to itself, I'm tired of being sat on. I'll grow spines to protect myself. Of course not. But that is similar to the fairies at the bottom of the garden evolution teaching that is so common today. Now I want to focus on something else that is amazing. The nature of God. There are about 22 verses in the Bible that use the word marvellous. Marvellous, of course, is similar to amazing. I've chosen three of those verses, and I want to share all three with you. The first is from Psalms 139, verse 14. It says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, Marvellous are your works, and that my soul knows right well. The second is from 1 Peter 2.9. It says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. And the third is from Psalm 17, 7. 
It says, Show your marvellous loving kindness, O you that saves by your right hand those who put their trust in you from these who rise up against them. Here, God is praised for three amazing things. Firstly, for his creative ability. Second, that through him we can know what is truth, what to believe and to understand about life around us. And thirdly, God is praised for the salvation for those who accept his beautiful offer of grace. Unlike many people of our times who are in the business of pulling the wool over our eyes and teaching that all things came into being unaided and by sheer chance, the psalmist recognises God as creator of the natural world around him. He recognises God's creative work in his own body, how he was formed in his mother's womb, and what a wonderful machine the human body is. David, who wrote this psalm, never had access to a computer. He didn't know what a computer was. Even if he did, despite the handy tools that computers might be, it's doubtful he would have even referenced them as the human body, its form and function and processes are far more amazing than even the best computer. Most of us never take the time to think about the fa what fa fantastic organisms we are. We're able to move, grow, think, eat, drink, digest, reason, speak, understand speech, hear, learn, reproduce, see, feel, taste, have emotions, and so much more. We're also equipped with a sense of morals, of right and wrong. We're able to appreciate what is lovely and that which is ugly. But then, as well, our body parts work as a symphony orchestra, each performing its part and each contributing to the whole. Further to that, built into our bodies are self-repair mechanisms, that is, the ability to heal. We have cells that are designed to fight and destroy harmful bacteria, fungi and germs that might enter our bodies. It has been recognised that a single cell is more complex than New York City. But we're made up of millions of cells, all performing particular function. David confined his amazement to humans, but then think of the whole animal and vegetable kingdom. The design and complexity is astounding, or, to use a modern term, it's mind-blowing. The second text I quoted from Second Peter praises God for revealing truth, referring to it as light. And it's good and satisfying to know what is true. We are surrounded with different truths, and often things that are presented as truth in fact are lies and deceptions, dressed up to seem plausible. That's why I stand up against the theory of evolution 
because I believe it to be a dastardly deception. But God is good inasmuch as he reveals through his word, the Bible, information about origins, about the entrance of sin into the world, about how we can be saved and about what is right and wrong. He reveals his own character and of how he has dealt with mankind in the past and he also reveals what lies in the future. It's wonderful to have knowledge about what was in the past, what is happening in the present, and what lies in the future. It's also marvellous to be able to understand where we came from, why we're here, and where we're going. That sort of knowledge, as revealed by God, gives peace and reassurance. The third of those three verses is about God's loving kindness. According to what's taught in the Bible, mankind rebelled against God and rejected him at the the beginning in favour of following Satan, himself a rebel. The law of the universe is found in Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. God had every right to destroy mankind because of our rebellion, but instead took drastic and dramatic steps to save us. Those steps involved sacrifice himself to satisfy God's law. That's why Jesus came to this earth and submitted to the death penalty that we may be able to be given the privilege of living with our God for eternity. The rest of Romans 6.23 adds the following, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is absolutely amazing that God the Word, that's God the Son, would lower himself to our level to save us from eternal destruction. It's almost inconceivable But it's true, and it's amazing that you and I are included in that gracious offer. What an amazing God we have. So, my friends, may God bless you until you join me next time.